Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The 15th Sunday after Trinity, Matthew 6, 24-34. Grace and peace be multiplied to you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And our Savior, dearly beloved hearers, if we read the history of the Jews as it is sketched in the divine writings of the Old Testament, we must really be astonished at their inclination to idolatry. Scarcely had a zealous prophet gotten rid of one idol when immediately another was set up in its place. Scarcely are all the poor people delivered from the oppressive slavery of Egypt through the great deeds and miracles of the true God. Scarcely had they passed through the Red Sea on dry ground, were given water to drink from a rock, and miraculously fed with manna from heaven. Scarcely had God revealed himself to them on Mount Sinai in great terrifying majesty with thunder, lightning, and the sound of trumpets and said to them, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Exodus 20. I say, all this had scarcely occurred when the nation worshipped an idol after the Egyptian manner. They had Aaron make a golden calf and called out in drunken joy, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Exodus 32, verse 4. They arranged a great feast, offered burnt offerings and thank offerings, and thus eating, drinking, and playing, played divine honors to that dead image. When the world today reads this, it thanks its lucky stars and says, Thank God, we are more enlightened than those uneducated Israelites. Such foolish, idolatrous worship can no longer be seen in the educated nations of the Old and New World. The idols are falling and will never rise again. The world has progressed. The light of truth, which has arisen everywhere, has displaced the darkness of heathenism. We now worship God in spirit and in truth. Oh, how good it would be if this were actually true. How good if at least the world, which is living in the light of the gospel, 
would now renounce all idolatry and actually devote itself to the worship of the only true God. The present world has indeed progressed. It does not easily fall down before the golden image of an animal to say, Behold, these are our gods. But we would err greatly if we suppose that in the place of the old course of idolatry, the worship of the true God in spirit and truth has become quite general in the so-called Christian world. On the contrary, I maintain that at no time has idolatry held greater sway than in our day, and especially in our new Christian fatherland. One idol is especially worshipped by young and old, by great and small, by rich and poor. No special temple is built to this idol. His temple is the whole world, his priests all children of this world, and his altars their hearts. This God rules omnipotently in all regions. Day and night the praises of this God resound from millions of tongues. The flame of sacrifice at the throne of this great God is never extinguished. My friends, do you not know this idol? Have you never bowed your heart before it? Have you never kindled the incense of your love before it? I fear that not one of us remains completely free of this idolatry. Yes, that perhaps many of us have dedicated ourselves completely to his worship. Should I name this idol? It is called money. It is called wealth. It is called good days. It is called vanity. In short, it is called mammon. Yes, my dear friends, that is the God before whom everybody bows these days. That is the God who today has countless worshipers, the God who rules everything, and whom all serve with their whole heart, with their whole soul, with all their powers, and with their whole mind, to whom the true God must everywhere yield. Money rules the world is an old proverb, and thus everyone must say, if he casts but a fleeting glance at the life and ways of this world. Against this idolatrous worship, we are warned by Christ in today's gospel. Therefore, let us now hear this warning. Matthew six twenty-four to 34 Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for he either will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of those. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. 
Sufficient is the day to its own trouble. So far our text. You cannot serve God and money, that is, mammon. These words are the theme which Christ amplifies in detail in the gospel just read. Mammon is a Syrian word and means as much as riches, money, and temporal goods generally. Christ presents this mammon to us as a God whom men serve, not together with, but instead of the true God. He shows in the following verses not only wherein this service consists, but also how ruinous and damnable it is. Therefore, permit me to speak to you on the ruinous and damnable service of mammon. I will show you that mammon actually is the god of the world whom men serve, and this service brings ruin here in time and damnation in eternity. What is man's god? Man's god is what he considers the greatest and the noblest in the world, in heaven and on earth. What he loves above everything else as the highest good, whose loss he fears more than anything else, which he trusts above all else, wherein he seeks his greatest joy, from whom he expects the preservation of his life, protection in all danger, deliverance from all trouble, in short, from which he expects his true happiness. Whoever has something like this, whoever believes this of a being or a thing, and is devoted to this being or thing from his heart, this is his God in whom he really believes and whom he serves. Now, if this is true, as it cannot be denied, it is also as true that not the true God, not the invisible being who created heaven and earth, but that nothing else than mammon is really the God of this world in whom men believe and whom they serve. Yes, mammon is the almighty God to whom the human heart goes out in all lands and to whom the most sincere adoration is shown in all countries. No station in life in which this God mammon does not have his devoted servants is exempt. Even the most wealthy, who otherwise want to serve no one, are the most zealous servants of mammon. Even Kaiser, King, and Lords, who otherwise wish to be subject to no one, are obedient subjects of this great monarch. Yes, even most of those who are called to be the messengers of the heavenly king are secretly in the pay of mammon. The world considers the poor who are without mammon forsaken and rejected by God. Riches, on the other hand, awaken the respect of the world and make the wealthy an honorable man in his eyes. In town, in country, in all homes, in the palace, in the hut, in all stores, in all factories, in all marketplaces, in all streets and alleys, this God has his altars and priests who sacrifice to him. So tell me, what do men, most men seek? What do they love above all things? Is it not mammon? Does not the gain of temporal goods gladden the heart of most before anything else? Do not most find in gold and silver, in a big lucrative business, in beautiful homes and extensive property, their greatest joy and comfort? Why do men get up so early in the morning and sit until the day is dying? Why this continual restless surging and driving in city and country? What is the purpose of so much talking and studying and chasing and running? For what does everyone strain so eagerly as though the winning of heaven were at stake? It is abominable mammon. Everything else is sacrificed to it. 
even what would otherwise be one's dearest treasure. Just to win mammon, health is sacrificed. One works and worries himself sick. Just to win mammon, one denies himself a thousand joys, even honor and a good name, virtue and a good conscience. Yes, even one's very life. Thus, he sinks into an early grave, a martyr to mammon. Furthermore, what is feared more than the loss of the favor of this God? Do not almost all men consider themselves most unfortunate if they have lost him? Do not many, for that reason, grieve themselves to death? Are not most groans uttered over the loss of mammon, or just the risk of losing him? Do not most act as if they should cut out a piece of their heart, if they must give a liberal gift to the poor, the community chest, or bring a sacrifice for church purposes? Yes, have not countless, in complete despair of their life, committed suicide, after they saw themselves completely forsaken by the comfort and help of mammon. And finally, in whom does the world trust? Does it not believe that it can be at peace only if it possesses much mammon? Does it not consider it the true key to happiness? Does it not strive after more and even more so that it does not have to worry at all times about the future? Is it not the greatest wish of most to work hard and invest so much money that they can lay their hands in their laps and live on the interest? Do they want their money to remain in a miraculous manner, yes, increase, while they do absolutely nothing but live off the proceeds? Is not mammon, therefore, the god of this world, whom men love, fear, and trust above all things, whom they zealously serve night and day with body and soul, for whom they sacrifice everything? Beyond a doubt, this is true. However, the service of mammon, or greed, or avarice, does not always appear in this easily recognizable form. It is not always so noticeable. Thousands serve mammon as their god and don't even suspect it. Like a swindler, greed and the service of mammon journey about in many disguises and under many false names. Nowhere does it want to be known by its true name. Sometimes it dons the dress of economy and hate of wastefulness. At other times it calls itself diligence, faithfulness in earthly things, and conscientiousness in the fulfillment of its earthly calling. Again, he says if one asks him what his name is, he is nothing else but concern about his own affairs or just the innocent striving for a good income. Yes, the worldling who squanders his money states that mammon does not cling to his heart in the least and that he has a horror of greed. And sincerely, as almost all men serve mammon, just so ashamed is everyone to call him his God. Yes, most actually try to convince themselves that they could in no way boast that they are his faithful servants. Though the worshiper of mammon, however, must always hide himself behind virtue itself, and though it were generosity itself, Christ in our gospel rips off the mask and drags him into the light of day. Christ says, whoever in heartfelt love and childlike faith does not surrender himself to the guidance and care of his heavenly father, but anxiously frets about tomorrow, about his body and life, whoever worriedly asks, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
yes, who does not seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, cannot be a Christian. He is as far as his faith and the condition of his heart are concerned, a heathen. In short, his God is mammon. Is that not a hard, frightful judgment? Accordingly, how many greeting, avaricious, money-loving, earthly-minded mammon worshipers there must be who do not suspect that they are? See, only he is not a mammon worshiper whose heart does not cling to money and temporal things, who, if God blesses him with money, considers it only as an opportunity to do good to others who considers himself a tool of divine goodness, God's almoner, and finds his happiness in making his neighbor happy. Only he is not a mammon worshiper who thinks, God has commanded me to work. Because God wants it and it pleases him, I work. But not because I worry about getting food and clothing. This I do not expect from my work and toil, but from my heavenly Father. Finally, Only he is not a mammon worshiper who views temporal things as a trifling, worldly, non-essential, which, to be sure, would be provided, but who first, that is, most zealously, most gladly, most preservedly, most earnestly, seeks the kingdom of God and his righteousness, who seeks the grace of God, the salvation of his soul, in a word, who seeks to be saved. On the other hand, All who say that they do not wish to become rich, but have only come as much as that carefree income is guaranteed them, suppose that they are not mammon worshippers. But in saying this, they themselves confess that they wish for so much that they no longer need to trust in God alone, as do the birds of the air who must daily wait and see where God has scattered their food. No, a small sum with which, according to their figuring, they can almost make ends meet, is safer than God's care. This little sum is their God. Another says, I am satisfied with what I have. I suppose that I certainly am free of this reproach. See, even the little that he has is his comfort. This is his God. Another is concerned about the kingdom of God. He prays, he goes to church, to the Holy Supper, He associates with Christians. He separates himself from the godless world and the like. But a greater worry, which lays on his heart daily, is how he might manage or improve his business and become richer. What is that person's God? Though he may appear to be ever so pious, it is mammon. Many rejoice in God's word and grace. They are sad at losing God's word or mammon. But should he win a considerable amount of money, his joy is much greater. Or should he lose it, his sadness is greater. He will not permit himself to be comforted. Such a person, let him make himself out to be what he will, is a secret worshiper of the god Mammon. It is not the Heavenly Father and his spiritual wealth, but in reality, temporal goods that possesses his heart. One does not strive after riches because he knows that his striving would be vain anyhow. He becomes very angry with those who want to become rich. He does not in the least seem to cling to earthly things, but the thought that he might also sometime become rich causes his heart to laugh at him. See, mammon is nevertheless his God. Many give, not as much, 
but as little as they can honorably, honorably give. Out of love to his money, he can send the suppliant away without the alms he asked for, can hard-heartedly turn him away who is in trouble and wants to borrow from him, can even, with a smirk, play the part of a loan shark, close up a business competitor, lower his pay of the poor. Everyone like that is a mammon worshiper. Money is his God, to whom he has forsworn his soul. The love of the true God, though it be on his tongue, does not live in his heart. And yet, who can hunt out greed and mammon worship in every secret recess? It has often re-entered the heart in disguise in order to avoid the eyes of man and not pass for what it really is. By nature, we are all in the service of mammon. Man must have a God. After he lost the true God, the world with its goods has taken God's place. Therefore, whoever is not again freed from avarice by unusual gracious work of the Holy Spirit is undoubtedly still governed by it. And alas, should many hearts be cleansed from this idolatry through true repentance, it is usually mammon who first of all again finds its own open temple. There are many Christians whom nothing could overthrow, neither trouble nor shame nor poverty, but mammon finally deceived them, for almost no other vice can give a person such a good Christian air as conserving mammon in one's heart, and in temporal goods seeking one's rest, one's joy, one's comfort, one's hope, in a word, one's God." Now that we have heard how universal the service of mammon is, let us in the second place also hear how ruinous and damnable it is. How ruinous it is, the Holy Apostles expresses in a few words. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. 1 Timothy 6, verse 10. There you see what a shameful thing the love of money or the worship of mammon must be. What more shameful thing can be said of it? than that it is the root of all evil. No evil is too great or too small, but that the service of mammon cannot produce them. From it grows love of self, lovelessness towards one, toward one's neighbor, hatred, envy, indifference toward Christ, his word, and his grace. Yes, enmity against God, contempt of the heavenly things, deceit, murder, hardness over and against the working of the Holy Spirit, and the like. In our gospel, Christ mentions only the main evil when he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It amounts to this. Where the love of money and goods enters the heart, the love of God departs. Where mammon builds an altar for himself, the heart becomes a temple of idols, from which the true God must quickly depart. Though the servant of mammon may serve God by ever so many good works, the heart cannot be divided. Since the heart which clings to mammon has departed from God, his whole worship of God is a miserable hallucination which God abominates. Though a servant of mammon may act ever so pious, he, at the bottom of his heart, still hates God. If he could hope to be saved without God's grace, he would never concern himself about it. And if he could live forever in a world in earthly joys, he would gladly remain eternally far from God, 
gladly stay away from heaven and satisfy himself with the world. God's severe law or sweet gospel is preached in vain to a worshiper of mammon. The worry, the riches, and the lust of this life smother the heavenly seed. In his heart, the word of God becomes like letters written in the sand. The next gust of wind quickly effaces all, and the writing is no longer to be seen. A lover of temporal good even lets his heart be moved at times, for he would someday gladly own the heavenly goods in addition to the goods of the world, but scarcely do his thoughts return to the temporal. They again close over him like the waves of the sea and extinguish the glimmering sparks of grace. Even a mammon worshiper often makes the earnest decision to become a true Christian and follow Christ until death. But when he hears, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, when he hears he must tear his heart free from all temporal things, that he must have this only so that he can do good, then as that young man, he goes sorrowfully away. He considers that gate too small, this way too narrow, these terms too severe. But what is mammon's reward? Even here it is worry, grief, care, unrest, dissatisfaction. He always thinks, if only I had this or that, I would have peace. But the more he receives, the greater becomes his wishes. Like the thirst which rages more fiercely, the more ocean water one drinks. Death comes as a terrible messenger for the worshiper of mammon. It is terrible for him, either because he has to leave the world and its goods, or he is not yet certain how he stands with God. He suspects that Christ will not recognize him as his own. He suspects that he has forgotten and forfeited his heavenly treasure for the earthly. Alas, because much of his wealth has been gotten unjustly or by anxiously and laboriously scratching it together, he neglected to strive for God's kingdom. His money and goods in the hour of death fall like a mountain upon so many a dying servant of mammon. Now that the ship of his life is about to sink, he would have gladly thrown all his treasure, his gold and silver, his houses, his real estate into the sea, if that would deliver him. Alas, in this hour of death, many a one has awakened from his dream and with loud lamentations passed on without hope and comfort. But despair in the hour of death is only a forerunner of that which awaits a servant of mammon in eternity. Here on earth, he did not seek his joy in God, but in shameful mammon. God will say to him, Depart from me. Now, let your dead idol save you. God's wrath and eternal damnation will be the interest which they receive in eternity, who use their temporal goods only for themselves, only for feasting their eyes upon it, and not letting it give a good return for the poor and the spreading of God's kingdom. In vain, a servant of mammon will excuse himself and say, Why, what evil have I done that I should be condemned? God will answer, Hold on there. You have done nothing evil, but where is the good which you should have done? Not only the tree which brings forth rotten fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire, but also the tree which does not bring forth good fruit. I have blessed you in temporal things, but where is the interest on the pound that was lent to you? 
the tears of the poor, which remain undried, accuse you. The rust of the gold and silver in your coffers, the sighs of the oppressed and deceived. Yes, your whole life squandered in striving for earthly things, witnesses against you. They testify that you have gathered your treasures for yourself, that you have lived for yourself, and that you have not served me, but mammon. Therefore, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, which is prepared for the devil and all his angels. Ah, let everyone be frightened at the terrible service of mammon. His time of service is miserable and his wages are terrible. Here he deceives men as far as the rest and peace of the heart is concerned and in eternity about God, their soul, and salvation. Let each one enter his heart and ask himself, Whom do I serve? Unless you serve God from your whole heart, you do not serve him at all. Then, certainly, mammon is your God, for no one can serve two masters. Bear in mind, a person can also drown in a shallow brook. He does not have to hurl himself into the sea in order to die. Likewise, you may not notice the service of mammon as clearly in yourself as in the service of another sin, and still your heart clings to it, perhaps secretly, in order, unnoticed by you, to rob you of God, your soul, and your salvation. Ah, uh, seek God with all his grace. Taste and see how good he is. Make room for him in your souls. Then mammon will quickly be cast down from his throne, and you will say, What is the world to me? Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.